your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue. This, this is the pod, is the for, you. pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. We love LA, at least on Sundays, I guess. This is Orange and Blue Bloods, a New York Knicks podcast artist of WFAN original. I'm EJ Stewart, joined by Tommy Beer. Plenty to talk about on this episode. We'll be breaking down this um, back-to-back at the league that the Knicks had versus the Clippers and the Lakers. The Knicks get a big win on Sunday to snap the three-game losing streak uh, that started in Sacramento, continued to get the Clippers on Saturday, but ended with a win over the Lakers. Big perform from R.J. Barrett, big perform from Julius Randle. So we'll break down why the Knicks were able to snap the win streak and how they'll be able to kind of keep themselves out of the losing streaks uh, moving forward. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about this game on, on Tuesday against the Portland Trailblazers. A lot of attention on this game, not necessarily because of how good the Blazers are per se, but it is a reunion of sorts with Cam Reddish uh, playing against the Knicks for the first time since he was dealt. He actually spoke about his time in New York recently, so we'll touch on that. And interesting detail that we didn't touch on last week, um, I talked to uh, Ben Ritholtz, uh, but, but they did have uh, a different, interesting detail on what's going to happen with Josh Hart and his future. You know, he has a player option for next year. And the word right now is that he will decline that option, but will re-sign with the Knicks. So a lot to get to on this episode. Like I said before, my guy Tommy Beer is back. Tommy, what's happening, my man? What's going on, brother? Um, yeah, spent the uh, end of last week and the weekend in Disney World down in uh, Orlando with the kids, um, but happy to be back um, and catch up on some Knicks basketball, a important game for the Knicks last night in Hollywood, um, just uh, down the road from the Oscars. Um, the Knicks were, were playing a, uh, a, a, a game that they uh, wanted and, and needed if they wanted to uh, see it, that that losing streak extended. Um, but they, uh, Nick fans can breathe a little sigh of relief after knocking off the Lakers last night. So uh, let's get into it. I was going to say, did you see any Miami Heat players down there in uh, <laughs> Disney World? Because they, they look like it, given how they performed against the, the Magic last night, losing that game. I mean, the Knicks got a game up on the Heat. So that was a very important factor because right now the Knicks right now are in sixth place in the East. Yes, so we'll talk about bit. We'll talk a little bit about the uh, the the obviously Heat falling back. Knicks now three point five ahead of them, but statistically a few percentage points behind the Nets, basically tied with the Nets in that that five and six slot. Um, so uh, that's why last night's Sunday night's game was so important, and uh, mm-hmm. really twelve games left in the schedule. It's crunch time, uh, it's go time, and then all the games matter. Yeah, it's a sprint to the finish at this point. So once again, this is Orange and Blue Bloods, a WFN Odyssey original, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature so you can get these episodes whenever they drop. Uh, we drop three times a week. This is the first one this week. So make sure you check us out on wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that auto download feature on your download streaming service. Also, be sure to check us out on YouTube. You can catch us on the free, uh, uh, obviously YouTube's free. Catch us on the Odyssey Sports channel where you can catch all of our, not just our uh, segments from our episodes, but our full episodes are up on the Odyssey Sports channel on YouTube. Check us out there. So let's begin in Los Angeles. So Nick's. Earned a split in the weekend back-to-back in Los Angeles after a disappointing loss to the Clippers on Saturday. The Knicks bounced back to knock off the Lakers 112-108. The Knicks got breakout performances from R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle. Both guys struggled in the first two games of this West Coast trip that began in Sacramento on Thursday. Randle led all scorers with 33 points, eight rebounds, five assists in this one. R.J. Barrett finished with 30 points in this game. He had 13 
in the fourth quarter, 20 in the second half. Um, Tommy, did you feel like this was a must-win game for the Knicks as they kind of struggled and they, they they looked like they were maybe headed in the wrong direction after that nine-game win streak, now snapping a three-game lose streak, losing streak? Yeah, I don't know if I'd uh, attach the, the must-win label to it, um, but I think it was, you know, if it wasn't a must-win, it was as close as you get to um, such a characterization. Like, this was an important game for the Knicks, for the Knicks make no mistake about it. Um, not only did they want to avoid a four-game losing streak, but, um, you know, it, it, it avoided the possibility of going 0-4 uh, on the road trip, potentially with a loss to Portland on Tuesday, and coming home on a five-game skid and just really trending in the wrong direction. Um, with Miami, again, two games left with Miami, only 12 games left in the schedule. That would have inched them a little bit closer. We know the the um, uh, the Nets are playing much better. They've won uh, five of six, as we mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's basically a, um, a tie for the five and six seeds in the East um, between New York and Brooklyn. So, um, yes, uh, while, you know, it wasn't a make or break, you know, needed game where if they lost, you know, um, it didn't have quite, I, I don't know if we would we would attach the uh, the severity level of, you know, like a, a five alarm game. But this was a, a very important one, especially after how poorly Randall played Saturday. Um, and not just played, but but handled himself. Um, I thought this was an important game for a team to bounce back. And yes, the Lakers were without LeBron James, um, but they had won four or five and, and were playing, you know, some of their best basketball um, without LeBron, uh, their, their yeah. best basketball of the season. So um, it was a tough game, second night of a back-to-back. And just kind of showed, um, you know, what this Knicks team is about. Um, you know, we'll talk about, you, you mentioned Randall um, and Barrett, obviously the two 30-point scorers. Um, Knicks wouldn't have won without um, uh, uh, Randall getting off to another hot start, 18 points yeah. this quarter. Um, incredibly, with the Knicks still have 12 games left in the season, he scored more first-quarter points than any other Knicks in franchise history. Um, mm-hmm. he, he moved past Carmelo Anthony um, during the 2012-2013 season Sunday night. Um, so he had, you know, um, Randall getting the team off to a great start in the first quarter, in the first half, 25 points, and then RJ carrying him home in the second half. So obviously those are the, you know, kind of the two headliners. Um, but I thought really the supporting kick, the supporting cast was huge in this one, particularly um, we'll, we'll talk about Josh Hart and he always, you know, was, he's been fantastic since the moment he arrived. But I thought um, in particular, the contributions from Isaiah Hardenstein, despite the fact he didn't score a single point and Deuce yeah. McBride, um, you know, Deuce's defensive intensity, um, you know, running at the passing lanes, three steals. Um, he just kind of upped the intensity, ratcheted up the, the effort level from the Knicks, um, you know, whenever he was on the floor, which was essential um 11 boards for hardenstein um a couple steals a block he really just did a good job protecting the ball nine points from Olby. so i thought those four reserves um you know was was really a uh, kind of a um you know they're not going to get the uh you know they're not going to be the lead in, in uh you know in in the, in the recap um but i thought those guys provided very important contributions and just kind of what this team has been about since day one um Typically, it's Randall and Brunson, um, you know, sharing the, the the responsibilities in terms of scoring and distributing on a nightly basis. But it's the other guys picking their spots, seeing when the team needs them to lift them up. And, you know, 70 games into the season, the Knicks are 10 games over 500. Um, and you don't do that unless you have a really solid supporting cast, especially when you don't have a true, you know, quote unquote superstar. Um, and, and that's uh, we, and we saw that again Sunday night. That was a good reminder. 
Yeah, in, in many ways, this game really, I felt in some ways, was kind of won by the bench. I know RJ and Randall had these big games, and they don't win, of course, without those guys. But this was a game that was kind of very close. It, it was no, I don't know if any team at any point ever got a double-digit lead. This game was kind of played within the five to eight-point kind of range throughout the entire game. At times, it was a two, three-point game. And it seemed like any time the bench unit got out there on the floor, that's when the Knicks were able to extend to a seven, eight. At one point, I think they did have a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Like, they like the bench unit, and you look at all their plus minuses. You mentioned Hardenstein plus 19, McBride plus 15, Hart plus 13, Obi plus five. Um, and you look at the starters, a lot of these guys are minuses. Quickly was minus 11, Mitch was minus 15. Um, then you got small minus plus minus deals. You got Randall minus one, Barrett even at zero, and Grimes at minus five. That kind of shows you where the, where the game was won. The game was won when that bench unit came in, they played spectacular. And I thought one of the turning points of this game to me was kind of at the start of the fourth quarter when um the bench unit once again looked like they were pretty much kind of dominating that uh lakers bench unit and then to a point where it looked like maybe the knicks will pull away and kind of make this a double digit game if you know if darvin ham went with you know the usual substitution pattern of kind of keeping ad and russell who was blazing hot in this game out you know till around the six seven minute mark he brought them in about 840 left in the fourth quarter because he kind of knew the game was going to get away and Credit to Tom Thibodeau. I really expected him to like, uh, you know, calm, uh, you know, counter that move with throwing Randall and throwing quickly those guys back in the game, and he didn't do that. He actually kept Obi and kept McBride and kept Hardenstein in the game. Hardenstein, I think, ended up finishing the game, and the Knicks held their own against even the star players for the Los Angeles Lakers, some of their key starters uh, in that time. And I think it gave Randall. Um, and quickly, some of these guys, the blow that they really needed. And then they came in around the six-minute mark, which is when they normally would come in, and they were able to hold on. So a lot of that had to do with the play of R.J. Barrett. I mean, I mentioned 13 points in that first, or that fourth quarter. I think he had, uh, I think, 11 points in the first, like, six minutes of, the, of that fourth quarter. Why was R.J., in your opinion, so effective in that second half where he really took off? Yeah, I think it was just, you know, him attacking the basket, not settling for as many three-pointers. The one three-pointer he did hit, um, obviously, was very clutch late in the game. Um, mm -hmm. But he was just one of eight from downtown. Um, you know, he just, you know, got to the basket. Um, I, it was one of the uh, Lakers defenders. I think it was Austin Reeves that talked about, we know he's going left. Um, that's where he wants to go. It's just hard to stop him. Um, and he was playing downhill. Um, he's playing just, you know, not settling, getting to the basket um, and, 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 finishing around the rim just as importantly not only getting there but but making solid decisions um once you got into the paint um and you know again that's a game we, you know we talked about randall's good start we talked about the bench players but they would not have won that game if barrett didn't put on uh, you know didn't put up you know the 20 plus points he did didn't perform as uh you know didn't didn't pump in the points that they needed um because again obviously without jalen brunson they have a tough time finishing they almost have to build a little bit of a cushion um when brunson's on the court we saw the lakers make a dash back before um two late free throws from josh hart was eventually able to seal it with five seconds left um so you know those are all the, the you know those are the things that they needed but yeah i just think um key for for barrett again is is, is going to his strengths and his three-point shot is just not falling right now um six uh, last six games he's shooting seven of 39 from downtown that's 18 percent um that's a that's a staggeringly low number um and he's not the only one struggling from deep um over that same six game stretch quentin grimes nine of 31 Obi is three from 20 um those three a combined 19 for 90 
um, during that six game stretch. Um, you know, again, a lot of it has to do with, you know, we, we talk about how important Brunson is just for the, obviously his points per game average, et cetera. But um, you know, the way he sets up the offense, the way he puts these, his teammates in position to succeed. Um, all these numbers are highlighted and illustrated when we see him um, not on the floor. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so again, for RJ um, and we've talked about it and we'll talk about it again over the next couple of weeks for the Knicks to unlock their ceiling. Um, they need a, uh, not only a productive RJ Barrett, but an efficient RJ Barrett. Um, and, and, you know, and not necessarily the version of the second, the, the version of RJ we saw in the second half, because um, obviously you hope Jalen Brunson's back and therefore they don't need, mm-hmm. you know, he took 47 shots last night. Um, so the yeah. good news is he scored 30 points, but 27 field goal attempts is not a recipe for success for the Knicks um, when they're fully healthy, even if they're not fully healthy on most nights. Um, yeah. But again, if he can do that in spurts, the start of the fourth quarter, the start of the second quarter, when Randall and Brunson are out, if Tibbs continues to go with, um, you know, not staggering those guys' minutes, that's when RJ is going to have to play that version of himself. Um, so hopefully you, you see an increase in efficiency, um, but they need that productivity from him, over the, you know, in, in those spots. Yeah, I mean, it's why I, I said that RJ, to me, was the X factor on this team, even though there may be other options where you think, you know, you consider them more of an X factor. But to me, it's like when Knicks get, you know, I agree. You don't necessarily want that version that you had in L.A. if Brunson's out there. But if they get kind of a light version of what they got from Barrett in L.A. with Brunson back, the Knicks, I think, can go to these conference finals. I think that that would be my ceiling for them because um, he's extremely tough when he gets downhill and he kind of has a plan. And he has a counter when the defense takes away certain things, which is kind of what we saw. I mean, he had some finishes in that game on Sunday night that I had not seen from him. I mean, and, and it wasn't like it was luck. It was clearly things that he had in his bag. He just hasn't really tried or maybe he's never pulled it out in the game. I mean, um, some really nice uh, left-handed finishes. Of course, he's left-handed, but he did an up and under right around the or in front of the basket that I was like, oh, I've never seen him do that before. Like, he, he had it all working. And when RJ is being aggressive, I think the Knicks – are at their best when he's being aggressive and being efficient, which is what they got in the second half. First half wasn't so great, four for 10 in the first half. Um, if he can play that way, I think the Knicks are in good shape. I also think that to me, when I think of RJ's game, the three-point shot right now is broken. There's no other way to put it. Uh, when I look the way he shoots, I think that for some reason he's shooting with a much wider base than I'm used to. And I think that's why a lot of the shots are so off left and right a lot of time you talk to shooters a lot of it starts with your base starts with where your your feet are planted and I don't, I don't think he's always square i don't think he's always balanced and i think that's why you're seeing some of these misses end up so bad in fact the one he made i thought he had to shoot it quickly he had to kind of get it up and he couldn't really think and i think he actually had his best looking shot on that one and i knew it was gonna go in and it went in so i don't know if that means he's gotta go back to drew hanlon but what i would say is i kind of wish that rj this offseason assuming he's back on the team he needs to either watch a bunch of Jimmy Butler or get in the gym with Jimmy Butler, who also is um, – oh, I think he's with Chris Berkley, not Drew Hanlon. But, um, because Jimmy Butler just doesn't take those shots anymore. Like, like Jimmy Butler is kind of a, just eliminated the three ball in his game. Like, he'll take it every now and then to keep defense honest. And he, but you, he'll only take maybe one or two a game. RJ, when he has a game like this, I mean, it was crazy. During the broadcast, Mike, Mike Breen kept saying, you know, RJ is now, you know, 7 for 10 from 2, but he's 0 for 6 from 3. And you hear that stat, and you're just like, I mean, I, I know to some degree in, in the way the NBA is played, you got to keep the, keep the defense honest, but you don't feel like he could find a way to get more two-point shots. You would think his efficiency would rise up. Maybe he won't have the, the big point totals he would have, considering he's the third option, but I think he'd be a much better player at this point. 
Totally agree. And I think the Butler comparison is a very good one. Also, DeMar DeRozan. I mean, there are guys, there are wings that have shown that you don't need to be a high volume three point shooter to score effectively in the NBA. Even today's NBA, um, because of the, uh, the, the the excessive amount of three pointers that are taken, there's a lot of space open in that two point area. If you can become exactly. an, a, a, you know, a high efficiency two point shooter, um, there's a place for you. There's a place for you to increase your, your, your productivity or efficiency and make you a more valuable NBA player. Um, and and kind of the, one of the thoughts I've had over the last couple of weeks, even while when Barrett's struggling, is not only is Barrett's um, a strong play to close the second half and in the postseason important for the Knicks, obviously um, winning games over the next stretch and into the postseason, mm-hmm. etc. But if they're going to trade him this summer, which I actually think is, um, if I if you had to if I if you had to ask me um, if there was one big move the Knicks are going to make, I think it's you know trading RJ Barrett this summer just because of his fit alongside Brunson and 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 um, and Randall's a little bit clunky, not a great fit. Um, he's the kind of the one piece that they have that that could bring something back, you know, considering his youth. Um, just, just basically just increasing his trade value. Um, uh, I, it would be important for him to kind of close out the season strongly as he did last season. Um, and, and remember he played really well, average, you know, absolutely 23, six and five, something like that. The last two months of the season. Um, so he's not, he's obviously not going to get to those numbers this season. Um, but again, you know, for him, it's not, it, it, you know, the points, it's just playing efficiently. And also, um, you know, him and Randall didn't play all that well defensively. Um, they kind of had, mm-hmm. had spots and starts here, uh, you know, at mid moments over the weekend. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly, um, you know, again, but the, 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 the good point about Rand, uh, Barrett is he doesn't necessarily, yes, take the open three pointer. It's there. Um, but the other thing is you're going to see teams start to dare him. And you saw the Lakers do that a little bit, really, you know, give him a, an extra few feet until he starts knocking them down. Yeah, and and another player he could watch, quite frankly, is Josh Hart. How many threes does Josh Hart turn down? Threes that, quite frankly, I think he should be taking sometimes. Yep. But yep. he turns them down. He ends up getting an assist for somebody. He ends up getting to the free throw line. Like, in some ways, he I think he kind of shocks the defense when he doesn't take those shots. Yes. And I think – I watched a very good clip. It was maybe three four years ago with Eric Spolster where he was kind of explaining – he was at a coaching clinic. He was explaining kind of how offenses work in the NBA. And I guess he was talking about the mid-range game. And he said – Look, I know people talk about how, you know, we're not trying to take mid-range jump shots anymore. And he's like, that's not necessarily true. Uh, we try to look for good shots everywhere. And you got to think at a certain point, if the defense is trying to take away the three, every defense in the NBA is trying to take away three, well, then as an offense, you have to counter with what shots are open. What shots are they giving you? <laughs> he's like, so if you're giving you open mid-range jump shots and you can hit those shots, um, then – you, that should also be in your offense. And I thought, I thought it was an absolutely brilliant. I definitely did a disservice probably explaining what Solcher said, but it was a brilliant explanation just about how he kind of uh, looks at offensive efficiency and how he, you know, plays the game, how he coaches. And, you know, one of his best players, Gene Butler, lives in the mid-range. So, um, I, I, you know, R.J. Barrett during his second year showed that he could hit that mid-range jump shot. Street, he had a couple games where he was hitting it. I don't know why he just like he goes to it and then he just like doesn't shoot it for like another two, three months. I, I don't know, I don't get it, but nonetheless, it was, a, it was a really great game from Barrett. So, definitely shout out to him. You mentioned Randall, uh, and you mentioned the defense. Are, are you confident after that game that Randall is back to being the Randall we see most of the season, not the player we saw it with the like, with the clip in that Clipper game? And I don't even want to leave it to just the Clipper game because I thought that. He wasn't maybe going crazy, but he kind of was off his rocker a little bit in that Sacramento Kings game. Um, and he played extremely poor in the Hornets game. So I, I to me, this has been and I, and I said we said on this podcast, 
I don't care how many points he had. I thought he had a bad game against the Celtics. So in my opinion, I thought Randall was coming into this game, play having played four miserable games in the Clipper game, seemed like a boiling point where he's got to be held back by Tom Thibodeau, which I had never seen before. Uh, multiple teammates trying to get him to calm down. Uh, are you confident that Randall's kind of put that aside and maybe that was the worst moment of the season and now he's kind of back? Or or, or what are you thinking of after seeing that, uh, that Randall blow up we saw on Saturday? We'll see. Um, I'll just say this. Mm-hmm. The Knicks and, and Mr. Randall are lucky we didn't record a pod on Sunday. You know, that like this wasn't yeah. a typical game where we would record after because um, Randall would have got obliterated on this particular podcast um, because he cost the, the Knicks that game yeah. uh, on Saturday night. Uh, uh, for those that, that may have missed it or just recapping, uh, point three, uh, less than a second left in the third quarter, Knicks up one. Randall foolishly throws an elbow in Mason Plumley's face, um, gets hit with the technical. Um, so now instead of the Knicks going to the fourth with a lead there, um, uh, Paul George hits the tech Plumley hits both, both free throws. Yeah. The Knicks they call the foul on them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, exactly. Um, so now the Knicks are down two points heading in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, and then that's part of a 14, four run for the, uh, for the Clippers. Um, the first six minutes of the, of the fourth quarter, Randall's pouting on the end of the bunch with his arms folded, um, you know, during this, this 14, four run. Um, and again, as, as you noted, right after he got hit with that technical, he loses his mind, um, screaming at uh, coaches, f- screaming at Fournier looked at a time, screaming at uh, Nick's security personnel. Tibbs has to literally put him in a bear hug, quickly tries to calm him down, doesn't work. Um, Fournier tries to calm him down, doesn't work. Johnny Bryant, you know, kind of gets him off in the corner, looked like tried to calm him. Some of the other assistants tried to calm him down, doesn't work. He's fuming, he's steaming. Um, you just can't have that. As, as a professional basketball team, unsurprisingly, the Knicks come out kind of just on their heels in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, and Kawhi and Paul George put him away. Um, the Knicks' margin of error without Jalen Brunson's very small. Um, uh, then, uh, sorry, the Knicks uh, margin of error with Jalen Brunson yeah, is, you know, yeah. is, is small relative to the other top teams in the East. And again, the Knicks have been one of the better teams um, in the conference, in the league for the past three months. Um, without yeah. Jalen Brunson, it's flat out minuscule. Yeah, um, it's, micro, it's microscopic without Jalen Brunson. Without Brunson on the, on the floor. So that type of stuff can happen. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, I just think of it like as a, uh, you know, as, as you know, if you're if you're a parent and you see a kid, you know, behave really well for a whole school year and then he gets into a, you know, he was fighting the year before and then he gets, you know, and then he gets into another altercation um, or, you know, just you, 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 it was kind of like a relapse, uh, you know, a PTSD yeah. moment uh, for Knicks fans because we saw it. And that was the Randall that really, you know, kind of sabotaged himself and in, and in, and in turn kind of torpedoed the Knicks season in, in 2021-22. And to his credit, and we have given him a ton of credit here and he's been given a ton of credit elsewhere. He deserves yes. to make the All-NBA team this year. He's yeah. played that well for that long, 70 games never takes a night off. Um, and some of that emotion is is part of what drives the success. You know, it's kind of the the, the same, you know, the, the, the reason people knocked AI was because he took so many shots. But that again, that was part of built into his fabric, built into his DNA, um, was just was his, you know, his ability to think he can make any shot at any time. Yeah. Um, and so with Randall, it's part of that competitiveness. But yeah, you're right. He was just he was teetering, it looked like for a couple games there with the Kings. Um, and it just I, you got the sense that Marcus Morris, uh, you know, if that game had been close and went into overtime or, you know, or they needed, you know, was they, everybody stayed on the floor for the full, you know, final six minutes that like Marcus Morris would have got Randall to throw a punch or, you know, in know. some way yeah. would have 
would have got him ejected or suspended. Um, so I thought my thinking was after Randall pulled that nonsense at the end of the third quarter, Tibbs should have benched him the entire fourth quarter. Yeah. He didn't. Tibbs should have called him out post game. He didn't. Um, but that's kind of to be expected at this point. You know, yeah. at this point in time, we know how, how Tibbs is going to handle Randall. Um, but yeah, so to, you know, as a roundabout way to answer your question, seeing is believing. I'm going to need Randall kind of settle down a little bit here. To his credit, came out strong Sunday night, kept his you know kept his emotions in check. Um, but that's things that he needs to do. Um, you know, when when the intensity gets ratcheted up, because it's only going to get higher and higher and higher. We saw him struggle last year in the postseason. Uh, sorry, the, the year prior when the Knicks yeah. had the four seed, he was terrible in that Atlanta series. And part of that is 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 maintaining emotions, the deep breaths, and and the things that you know we've given him credit for. Um, you know, kind of changing his mental approach is what he's going to need to do over these final twelve games and when the postseason starts. So you know, I'll I'll, I'll just say, seeing is believing. Let's see if he can do it when the moments matter most. Yeah, I'll say quickly that uh, that was alarming to me, you know, because when I when I've talked about Randall's career with the Knicks and, and that turn that happened um, after the Knicks made the playoffs and in that Hawks series, I felt like that Hawks team in some ways broke them. It wasn't just a physical domination. I thought it was a mental domination. I think the way they were physical with him, the way they talked about him during that series, the way they talked about him after the series. I just thought it it, it it sparked a shift in Randall from a personality standpoint that we saw a little bit in his first year, but it got dark in that third year. It was he was yeah. just he was he was un, out of control. And I felt like it was deja vu on Saturday. It was Ty Lu in the pregame saying, We're gonna put Marcus Morris on him and we're gonna be physical in them all game. And I was like, Wow. I I just I was shocking to me that, that they, they would just say that right before a game like that. And I was like, Okay, that's a little interesting. I haven't seen anybody talk about Randall like that before a game this season. Let's see how he handles it. And then in the game, Morris is talking trash to him. He's beating him up. He's being physical. Plumlee's being physical, throwing him around. Randall's just out of control with the refs. I'm like, again, a game where he could have easily been thrown out with how much he was complaining. And then you see the incident happens at the end of the third quarter. And I thought I was seeing in, in like a in like a short 48-minute version of what I saw essentially from that Hawks series into the 2022 season. So Randall now to his credit, he was able to kind of shift gears very quickly into the Laker game and play really well for the most part. Like I think that there were, that was an interesting first half where I I did see some not closing out on defense, not boxing people out, but then he was hitting these incredible shots and making these incredible moves. And in some ways that was the most Julius Randall first half you'll ever see from him. But the fact that he was able to put it together and put together a good game, I think was a good sign. But it's just a little alarming that like a team could get him so far off of his game that quickly, that easily, and for him to to go right back to where he was last season, despite all the good things about the fact that he's smiling more and all that stuff. All that went away real quick as soon as he wasn't getting his way, and the team was able to get in his head and get physical with him. That cannot happen because that's what playoff basketball is. That's what he's gonna see in a couple of weeks. So he can't he he can't react that way. It's just it's unacceptable. A hundred percent. And whatever team they play, the Sixers, the Cavs, the Celtics, yeah. and one thing to keep, to keep in mind, um, the the Sixers who have won five in a row are just like one and a half games back behind the Celtics for that two seed. So that's something right. we'll keep an eye on as the Knicks yeah. are potentially in the six seed um, who ends up in that three seed. It's very interesting. Um, but yes, they, they, whatever team the Knicks play in the first round, 
they likely won't come maybe they will come out and say it. we're going to get physical with him we're going to try to get into his head we're going right, to yeah. you know a couple extra elbows you know we're going to use maybe a backup and and you know Paul Reed if they play Philadelphia foul him a few yeah. more times um but that it, whether they say it to the media or not they're going to say it in the locker room pre-game right. post-game halftime get inside Randall's head make him you know make him work for all his points hopefully he starts yelling at the refs hopefully he starts yelling at his teammates um because if he does that then he's not uh then then, he, then he's a lesser version of himself and one other thing to point out I think is important because we talked about him teetering and then finally going over the edge Saturday has been the importance of Jalen Brunson on this team as a whole as the yeah. ship's captain to kind of guide them through choppy waters um but particularly his impact on 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 Julius Randle obviously the production um you know i think it's uh, JJ Redick had it during the stat during during the game last week i think they're third in terms of uh Brunson to Randle total points scored this season that that two player combination yeah. um but just and and we know about the production efficiency etc but just the on court demeanor um Jalen Brunson's steady hand, um, just the comp, he never gets, you know, he never plays faster than, than the, you know, than he wants to play. He's always playing at his own pace and just, just seems to have a calming effect on the team as a whole. Um, just basically just one huge, like uh, yoga breath when they, when they need it. Yeah. Um, and that's something they've been missing these last couple of games and obviously something they've needed in the clutch. And they, we've seen it when they, when they faltered without Brunson on the floor and also just uh, Randall in general, um, Jalen Brunson is just uh, his, just basically it's almost as if his um you know just his presence on the court directly impacts randall's move yeah exactly so that, that I, I think that that whole thing doesn't happen in front of some place quite frankly mm-hmm. and, and i think in some ways like i'm looking at the characters that are involved in this story on saturday i'm looking at him yelling at Fournier. i'm looking at him yelling at uh you know uh you know other guys that have been on the team before like guys yeah. that were there last season to me it was like oh this is like this is last season like this is yeah what we had like Randall having a terrible game, inefficient, young at the refs. Now he's blowing up to the point where now he's young at his teammates, young at everybody. He's being held back. Assistant coaches can't control him. Like the only difference, the main difference this season is that Jalen Brunson is on the team. Now he was on the bench. He couldn't, he wasn't obviously right, playing, right. but I just think if he's in, he's in that game, he's playing. I, I think Randall has, has talked about how much he respects Brunson. I, I just think that they have a relationship where I, I don't think he even pulls that. Which is that to me is a little that also is alarming. Like I don't I don't like yes. the idea that like because Brunson didn't play, he felt like he could just be a wild man. Like that that, and, that can't happen. And it's something minor, but it's just kind of I think a, a illustration of our point. Randall should not be taking technical free throws when Isaiah when when yeah, a man yeah, what, was, the yeah, game. what was that yesterday? Yeah, and and it's happened before. And I again, yeah. I think it's just kind of a, a sense of entitlement. The last we've credited Randall, you know, time and time right. again this season, and he deserves it for the, how as well as he played. But the next step to his evolution as a basketball player is his evolution as a leader and kind of a you know a, a, a primary focal point of the offense and and just you know he's being he's one of the highest paid players in the team and he'll continue to do so. He needs to in some respects, humble himself a little bit um, and, and figure out, okay, I understand. I want to get my points up, et cetera. But the, the in order for us to win, even if it's a 0.0001% chance, because I'll probably make the free throw in a manual quickly, you know, but quickly is a higher percentage free throw shooter. And it, you know, the, the game may not come down to one point, but it might let your best free throw shooter on the floor, take the free throw and two, and, and it's kind of circling back. We've seen it before when Brunson and Randall on the floor together, Brunson steps to the free throw line yeah. and takes technical. Um, so that's the kind of respect that Brunson should show to his teammates. And hopefully we'll kind of see that maturity. And again, it's important to remember he's in the prime of his career, but he's still a 28 year old person um, has some growing and maturing to do. So hopefully he'll continue to do so. 
Yeah, Knicks win this game 112-108. I did think it was interesting. Uh, JVG was on the broadcast, and he was extremely critical of Randall in the first quarter. Um, it's almost like he was kind of ready for a bad Randall game, given how he had been playing. And he spoke about his inefficiency late in games, and he talked about the uh, you know inconsistent effort on the rebounding and not boxing out Jared Vanderbilt, who was killing Knicks on the offensive glass first quarter. Um, and I, in some ways, I really loved it because – you know, sometimes we gotta get in this world where it's like, oh, if a guy has a good season, you just can't say anything bad about him or how he can improve, how he can continue to still help the team. And there you got, uh, you know, one of the greatest coaches ever, coached the Knicks, telling you why Randall it, it, it needs to get to another level. What is keeping Randall back from getting to the, you know, perennial All NBA, real superstar level that the Knicks, quite frankly, need? And I, it was very refreshing, I think, to hear some of the commentary from Van Gundy uh, on that game on Sunday. So true. And it's a good point. And it, it, it harkened back to last year, there was multiple national television games where Van Gundy destroyed Randall yeah. as, as, as harsh as, as any, you know, saying you literally saying you cannot have this from your, your best player. You cannot have this from your highest, but the team will, you're a losing team. If this player is, is this effort is represented. And honestly, you know, putting on my kind of tinfoil hat for a minute, I've thought, you know, stating back to that last season, we know Tibbs refuses to to uh, admonish Randall in any way, shape, or form, no matter the offense. Um, we yeah. have a history of that now. Three years. Yeah. I I think, and and I'm speculating here that Van Gundy is a speak is speaking for Tibbs, kind of saying He's, that these two are close. These two have a long yeah. a, a long relationship dating back to the '90s with the Knicks. So I think. Van Gundy is expressing, you know, he's, he's not that's he's not conjuring that up out of thin air. Um, and right. he watches enough basketball to have his own opinions, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he's getting some of that behind the closed doors coaching staff commentary from the Knicks and saying, Hey, Jeff, you know, like maybe light a fire under um, Randall. See, I mean, we, we won't say it, but let's see if yeah. we'll see if he hears it from somebody else. If you know how, how he kind of digests, I mean, it's, it is interesting because I mean, you're not going to get an MSG because James Dolan, yes, <laughs> will, will not stand for that. So, Correct. so it's interesting. I didn't, I, I actually had different tinfoil thought. I, I've kind of thought that maybe this was Van Gundy kind of angling his way to see show why he should be the next next coach. Like, you know, when this thing eventually, you know, uh, you know, falls apart or whenever it just doesn't work out with Tibbs, him saying, Hey, this is uh why, you know, if I was doing this, uh things would be different. And right. I don't know. I, that so yeah, both I think could be interesting theories, but that's a, a interesting one. But um let's uh let's shift gears here and the Knicks, speaking of familiar faces like Jeff Van Gundy, the Knicks will be seeing a, a familiar face when they take on the Trailblazers in Portland on Tuesday to wrap up the West Coast trip. Um, former Nick Cam Reddish, who's been averaging uh, 13.6 points a game and 46% shooting since joining the Trailblazers. Um, he was asked about his time in New York and what went wrong. Reddish had this to say. He said, quote, it had nothing to do with basketball. It was all the politics and all the favoritism. So a very pointed words from Cam Reddish regarding why his Knicks tenure did not go well. He was acquired last season by the Knicks for Ke uh, Kevin Knox and a protected first-round pick but only played sparingly in New York. The, the Knicks included Reddish in a trade package that landed them Josh Hart, who we'll talk about a little bit uh, in a couple of minutes here. But meanwhile, the, the Blazers, uh, they've wrapped a brutal six-game road, road trip. They lost to New Orleans Pelicans 121-110. They had a 40-burger from Trey Murphy in that game on Sunday. The Blazers are now on a three-game losing streak, six games below 500. Knicks last played the Blazers on November 25th. Portland beat the Knicks 132-129 in that one. So let's start with this Cam Reddish commentary because it got a lot of attention on social media. 
Um, do you buy Cam's explanation about what went wrong in New York? That it was all favoritism and not basketball. No. Um, <laughs> point blank. I mean, uh, you know, listen, the NBA is a business. If you're, if you can help a team win, uh, you're going to find a way to get on the floor. I don't, I don't have the quote. I didn't waste my time to dig for it, but I'm sure if you go back and, and look at what he said after leaving Atlanta or when he requested a trade from Atlanta, it's probably the same thing. The head coach doesn't like me or the front office favors somebody uh, else. Yeah. Um, even though the, the the Hawks spent a top 10 pick on him, even though the Knicks spent a first round pick on him, um, if you have the ability and the talent and teams are that invested in you, um, they're going to find a way to put you on the court and sink or swim. Um, the Knicks played better um, when they went to the nine man rotation. Part of that. Um, was not was removing reddish from the rotation. Um, we know yeah. about the Knicks record pre and post that that decision. Um, again, he had an opportunity, especially due to injuries with Grimes at the start of the season, to really establish himself as a consistent rotation player. Didn't make the most of that opportunity, um, and even more so, um, if you hear things behind the scenes, it's not just on game days because he comes to play on game days. It's his preparation. Um, it's the way he uh, competes in practice. Um, you know, he's not one of those guys that's going to show up early every game, you know, every day and leave late. Um, you know, it's this, the, the NBA, especially for role players, um, is about kind of finding your niche. And, you know, I think just this season and this particular Knicks team, Cameron Reddish is, uh, you know, on paper, uh, uh, you know, a better basketball player than Deuce McBride. He's longer. Uh, he's more athletic. He's, uh, you know, he's taller. These are very, you know, these are very important characteristics for, for an NBA basketball yeah. player. Um, but McBride, you know, is a, you know, one of those guys that's a quote unquote superstar in his role. McBride relishes playing 12 minutes a night, whereas Reddish view would view that as, you know, he's, that's not worthy of him. You know, he's, he's a guy that should be starting that should be taking 19 shots a night. Um, and in order to excel in the NBA, unless you're one of the, you know, the preeminent talents in the league, um, you know, if you're, you know, the DeMarcus Cousins talented um, and, you know, prior to the injuries, um, he was kind of by all by all accounts a knucklehead. But he was so gifted right. and, and, and so talented that he, the, the coach wasn't going to take him off the floor because he put up big numbers and, and helped yeah. his team win. Um, Reddish isn't there. Um, you know, so he's so he's got to figure out um, that just as much about the NBA, you know, for for guys on kind of on the on the periphery. Um, we've seen a lot of talented players not make their way back into the league and end up averaging 31 points a game somewhere in China. Um, and you can do that. You can make a lot of money playing overseas and get a house and a car and, and all that good stuff. But if you want to be in the NBA and stick around and, and, and make the big money, um, you got to excel in your role. Um, and Reddish hasn't, if it was just the Knicks that they, that they kind of ran into a problem, but again, the Hawks were very happy to get rid of him. Um, you know, after a, basically a year and a half after spending a top 10 pick on a guy that was a very highly recruited, highly recruited, uh, athlete coming out of high school and, and during his one season at Duke. So, um, I do not put a lot of, uh, you know, substance into, uh, Cam, Cam Reddish bellyaching about not playing in New York. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, could they have not liked him and felt like, you know, there were other guys they wanted to prioritize, like maybe R.J. Barrett, who was playing ahead of him, and mm -hmm. Wayne Grimes? Sure. But at the same time, what is your impact to winning when you do get on the court, when you do get opportunity? And we've seen now in multiple stops, including including Portland, <laughs> that he doesn't have an impact in winning. He's been there now for three weeks, four weeks, and – he only has four wins since he's been playing, you know, and getting a lot of minutes. He has games. I'm looking at his game log, 34 minutes. Uh, that was a 17-point loss to the, <laughs> to the uh, Sacramento Kings. 
you know, uh, 32 minutes against his other old team, the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, he shot nine for 17. That one had a big game, scored 25 points. That was an 18 point loss to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, you know, against Boston, he plays 34 minutes. Uh, they lose by 22 points. I mean, like uh, Cam Reddish, you can be like he can be a talented player and also just not a winning player. And, and, and I think he's probably yeah. And the other thing is, this NBA is a small kind of community. Anybody in the league could have had him for a second-round pick, for a pair of second-round picks. And the fact that nobody did tells you a lot. Months ago, they could have had him um, for very, very limited return on a young player of high pedigree, of a you know former, you know, a couple of years removed from a lottery pick. And and two teams have dumped him now, and no other team was was willing to uh, to roll the dice on him. Um, so I think that says a lot as well. Yeah, exactly. So I mean. And the fact that the Portland had to be incentivized to take him by giving up a first round, you know, getting a first round pick back. I mean, it, again, there's a lot going on here. So, like, and I think Cam has talent. And I think maybe if he goes yes. to the right situation, maybe he can develop into that guy. But do I think that he's that guy right now on a winning team? No. Like, the Knicks, the proof is in the pudding. The Knicks benched him, did not play him. Um, there were moments where I think he should have probably got him when guys were hurt. But that nine-man rotation that they locked in was the right nine guys to play. And we've seen the returns on that. So, you know, I, I can't. He's, look, he's got to feel how he's got to feel. Like I, I can't. I don't, I don't. I don't even blame him for feeling that there was favoritism and other things happening because he probably looks at what he can do on a basketball court and looks at you know guys like Grimes and, and Barron and some of these guys. Say, hey, I can do things that these guys can't do, and he's probably right. But do you still impact winning? Do you uh, show up on a night to night basis on on a practice to practice basis with the right yeah. mindset? Like yes. there are other things that make you a winning basketball player beyond just you being able to have the best package of moves or what's in your bag. Like, and, and those are the things that I think uh, Cam needs to continue to work on. I hope he gets it. I don't, I'm not rooting against him, but I don't, I don't buy this. Oh, well, I only didn't play because they didn't like me. I don't buy it. A hundred percent. And last thing, and we'll move on. Um, yeah. The, the start of him becoming that better player, that more successful player is accepting responsibility for why two right. teams have dumped him and him saying it's business, you know, a, a, a completely avoiding taking any responsibility for two failed marriages, you know, in his first two teams in the NBA is not a good sign of, you know, and, and again, a representative of why the Knicks and the Hawks probably wanted to move on. Yeah, I think part of I think part of it too is also because I think quite frankly, I think he thought the favoritism would go his way. Like the Knicks traded yeah, a first round pick for yep. him. So they thought he thought, oh, well, they're definitely gonna play me, right? So when the favoritism didn't go his way, he's like, All right, well, this has got you politics against me. So yeah, but anyway, talking about this game, um, you know, keys to Knicks win. I mean, this is a Portland Trailblazers team that uh, I think they kind of they have an, a little bit of an identity crisis right now. Like they're kind of tank, they're kind of not. Um, you know, Dame Little did not play in this uh loss they had to the, uh, to the uh, New Orleans Pelicans. So I, I don't know if he will be available for, for this one. So, I mean, the Knicks lost this team before. Uh, the Blazers are not necessarily a deep team, but they do have guys that can hurt you in Jeremy Grant and Anthony Simons. Uh, what do you think are keys to the Knicks winning this one? Yeah, the, the keys um, uh, certainly are going to be, you know, the injury report. Uh, we're going to yeah. find it out on uh, – should be late. We're, we're recording this Monday afternoon. We should have Monday night. Uh, the teams should likely submit their injury report. Uh, first on Jalen Brunson, it sounds like he's not going to play. Um, Tibbs has uh, – Woj reported um, during the broadcast, the pregame show on ESPN, that it's l- unlikely – um, that um, Brunson will suit up Tuesday night uh, in Portland. Um, I have the, and I have, have the twi- Tibbs quote here. Um, he was asked before the game. Uh, Tibbs did not provide a, a timetable. Uh, Tibbs quote: He'll just continue to do his treatments, and we'll see where he is um, when he's ready to go. He's ready to go. Um, so uh, let me say this: 
Jalen Brunson should not play Tuesday night against Portland. I don't care if he wakes up tomorrow morning and says, Coach, I'm 100% healthy. I've never felt better in my entire life. Jalen Brunson should not play tomorrow night in Portland. Yeah. Um, due to a quirk in the schedule, the Knicks don't play again until Saturday um, when they host the Nuggets at the Garden. Um, if Brunson sits out Tuesday night, tomorrow night's game, that will give him eight days. Um, you know, he, he played the first half of, of Friday's game. He'll have a full, full week to rest. Um, and uh, before he suits back up um, again, it's essential to think at the big picture at this point of the season. Um, you cannot be penny wise and pound foolish. You need a healthy Jalen Brunson to have any chance of winning a, a first round playoff series. Um, you need a Jalen Brunson as close to 100% healthy as possible. Um, so for that reason, I think they should sit him. Um, the Knicks also get a, you know, get a, uh, a benefit of the, the Portland potentially sitting out Dame Lillard. Um, you mentioned he did not play Sunday night due to left calf soreness. Um, mm -hmm. Again, we haven't we don't have an update on that situation. But again, um, the the pace are heading the wrong direction, riding a three game losing streak. Um, certainly on the outside of the play in picture, looking in, um, even if they were to get in the play in picture, um, Yusef Nurkic has you know played less than twenty minutes three straight games um, as yeah. he works his way back from injury. Played just ten minutes last night, was minus twenty in ten minutes. Um, if you're reading the tea leaves, it looks like the Pacers are more concerned with ping pong balls. Of uh, the Blazers, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, are more concerned with improving their lottery position than than qualifying for the 10 seed out west. Even though that's still technically within play, um, they'd yeah. have to jump over teams playing better that are healthier. The Lakers, the Jazz, and, and all those other clubs. We know about the the crazy grouping um, this late in the season. It's just, uh, so um, uh, the Knicks should win uh, Tuesday night, especially if Dame Lillard's not playing. This is a game they'll likely be favored in um, by by quite a few points. So um, just in terms of talent. Um, but but the bigger picture, again, bigger picture, my main takeaway um, and looking ahead towards the Blazers matchup is make sure Jalen Brunson rests and, get, and gets a night off. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned, you know, the, their record during that time since that trade deadline. They've only won four games since then. So uh, there was a weird situation where <laughs> uh, coming off of the uh, all-star break, you know, they rested Damian Lillard, <laughs> which was raised a lot of eyebrows. The guy getting rest after the all-star break. Now, apparently there was a, a plane issue that Dame had and they didn't want to run him, rush him back out there. But you had an all-star break and then, you, you know, you know, you get a rest game, a low management game for a team that's apparently supposed to be in the playing race. Seems very odd. So. Yeah, the, the Blazers have been doing some funky stuff with uh with their minutes and, and guys being available. So um so yeah, I think that this is a team that's not necessarily um incentivized necessarily to to try to win. I think that this is a team that's trying to quote unquote look at their young guys and evaluate yeah. their talent. You know those yeah. words we talk about when we get to tanking season. So if you're the Knicks, you gotta take advantage. You know, um like I said, I I do watch this matchup between you know Grant and um and Randall. Um, Grant had a really good game in the game they played uh, way early in the season in November. And Grant generally a guy who plays very well against the Knicks for some reason. So um, he's always a guy to watch. But uh, for the Knicks, hopefully they, they come out with a little fire. And, you know, this is a revenge game for Josh Hart, too. I mean, he was traded, though. I'm sure he was perfectly fine being moved to a contender or at least a team that's going to be in the playoffs. So it's important for them, I think, to, you know, show that, you know, they want to show up for their guy, you know, and and, and support him in this game. And hopefully they uh, take care of business because I agree. I think that from a talent standpoint, um, the Knicks should beat this team. You know, they're, the Blazers without Lillard, especially essentially a two-man team with Simons, who's been in and out of the lineup a lot as well this season. 
and Grant. And, and that's really it. Nurkic has been a little bit uh, inefficient or excuse me, ineffective of late due to the injuries. So Knicks should win this game. I, I think that they will, but uh, but we'll see. Knicks play uh, the, the Blazers uh, th- Tuesday night. Should be a good one out in Portland. Let's wrap the show talking about one of the Knicks that uh, they did get in that trade for um, uh, with Cam Reddish involved, and that was Josh Hart. So one of the Knicks' key free agents is Josh Hart coming into this offseason, but it is reported that he's expected to stay in New York, according to uh, Michael Scotto and Ian Bailey. Scotto of Hoops Hype, Ian Bailey of SNY. Both of these guys were on the Hoops Hype podcast. They discussed – Hart's future and Scotto said that Hart will decline his $13 million option for next season, but he's expected to re-sign with the team on a three or four year deal. So both guys discuss Hart loving the fit in New York, uh, the Knicks loving Hart's fit with the team and Hart's connections to not just Jalen Brunson, but also Leon Rose, some of the other guys in the Knicks organization all factor into a decision that they expect to be uh, a three or four year deal for Josh Hart to stay in New York. So, Tommy, do you think that it's smart for the Knicks to commit to Hart long term? Yeah. Yeah, I think this is a guy, you know, Hart's one of those players um, and they're, you know, you, you see him throughout the league that you don't really appreciate him until you see him up close night after night after night after night. Yeah. Um, you know, if you, if you play against him, you, you know, you play him twice a year or at most four times a year. You think, wow, that guy's that guy's really good. But um, it's not like we have a, you know, a huge, you know, heart's been on a you know playoff contender every year. That's when, you know, that we've seen, you know, three, three rounds of playoff act, you know, this is right, a lot right. of Nick's Nick fans first kind of exposure to Josh Hart, maybe since he was playing for Villanova in, in the big right. East. Um, and he's everything you could have wanted. Um, and, and then some, you know, he just, it's, it's not just the rebounds. It's he rips rebounds down in traffic, you know, from opposing centers and pushes the floor and it's kind of untapped and unlocked Obi Toppin in a way that, you know, we haven't seen since, um, his attitude, his toughness, um, just fits in perfectly alongside Brunson and Tibbs and IQ and the way he gets after it defensively, his high, his high IQ, uh, no pun intended, um, right. on the defensive end of the floor, switches, uh, loose balls, diving into the stands. Um, you know, he's one of those guys I, you know, and, and, and you know, he's he, the highest compliment you can probably pay to any Nick today. Current day Nick is to say he would have thrived and could have fit in very well alongside the Knicks of the 90s, the Oakleys, the Masons, the Ewings, the Starks. And Hart is yeah. that type that type of player in so many respects. Unselfish, smart, um, tough, can make big shots and big moments. We've seen him hit some big three-pointers in his first few games, even though he's not a great three-point shooter. He makes them when he counts. We saw it just last night, the two free throws to seal the deal um, with five seconds left in Los Angeles. He's just a winning player, dating back to high school, dating back to national championships at Villanova. Um, he's a guy you want on your team, um, a guy you know that we've talked about. If you if you go to LA Fitness and you pick him up, um, he's you're going to run for, for most of the day. You're, not, you're probably not going to lose any games because he's just a dude um, that's going to find a way to contribute to winning. Um, he doesn't need to score a lot of points. He doesn't need to be, you know, the, the superstar on a team. He's very comfortable in his role. And as we spent the middle part of this podcast, that that acceptance, that embracing, he has, he's not going to bellyache about not starting over R.J. Barrett. He's going to excel in the moments, in the minutes he's given. Um, and you need guys like that um, in, in, in today's, you know, to, 
to a good team, to a very good team, to a great team. He's kind of one of those foundational pieces. The contract's going to be important. You can't, he's not a guy you pay anything to keep, um, but you pay anything within reason. Um, and my very strong hunch is that he, that he seems content and happy in New York and that both sides will find a very willing compromise and he'll spend the prime of his career the next three or four years as a Nick. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy that the Knicks should be kind of targeting. Like, this is the guy in some way that the Knicks had kind of been looking for. Like, uh, you know, like they had, uh, you know, Bullock and, you know, they had him for a couple years and then he went on to Dallas for bigger money. Um, then they brought in Fournier and, of course, that that has not worked. Like, they have needed, like, that glue guy, that, you know, fourth or fifth guy, the guy who can kind of, uh, you know, stabilize the team and what he brings to the table. And this guy... You know, he, he fits Tom Thibodeau and he fits how the Knicks want to play. So he's absolutely the kind of player the Knicks should be kind of bringing into the fold and trying to uh, keep now that he's on the team. So I, I'm all for re-signing Josh Hart. I do wonder what, A, the, the money is since he declined a $13 million deal. You know, hopefully, you know, I saw some things saying maybe he just, you know, takes that $13 million but takes it now for four years as opposed to, you know, taking the risk of taking that one-year deal and something happening to him. Um, but even if he does get a slight raise, I'm hoping it's, you know, in that $15 million range. You know, once it gets north of that, I thought he get a little worrisome. Like, a, he's not a $20 million kind of player. Yeah. But uh, but if they can keep him to, like, a three-year, $45 million deal, like, I think that that's a pretty sweet deal. He's in the prime of his career. He's a durable player. And what's interesting about him is even though we talk about all the winning things he brings to the table, he's never been to the playoffs. So I'll be excited to see what he does in this postseason because I watched that game on Sunday and I said, that guy is going to win the Knicks a playoff game. Yes. Like the, his effort, his hustle, his unselfishness, you could see watching that game being like, those are the kind of things and the traits that you need to win in the playoffs. And yes. he's going to win them one this season. I guarantee you. So um, I'm happy he's here. I don't know what it means for some of these other guys, uh, but assuming the deal is right, I think that he's the right fit for this team. Two things. Um, I And I hadn't thought about this until we, we just started talking about it. Yeah, if I guess I, if I had to ballpark a number in my head, I think four years for $55 million, probably somewhere in that range, um, seems about right. And then I think with the Knicks tacking on a player op, a team option for that fourth and final season, that, they, that's kind of yeah, way that this, this front office likes to do business. Um, so like three years, $45 million guaranteed. And then a fourth year team option. I, th I think that's somewhere in that ballpark. Knicks have probably like preferred closer to three years and high thirties or three years and 40 million camp, you know, hearts camp will probably push, you know, four years, 60 million, maybe they meet at, at four years, 45 um, with the, with the team option for year four. So um, it's definitely something we'll look into it. I mean, a lot of it depends on where the factor, where, where the salary cap set in, what the Knicks do with RJ Barrett, um, how they handle IQ and, and all that other mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but yeah, just as far as heart, he's a guy you want around. He's a guy that's going to help you win games. And again, if you're, if you're, constructing a team to win now and that's what the Knicks are doing again they're not going to tank next season um with Brunson and, and Randall paired together you're just not going to be bad enough to get to that yeah. really you know bottom five of the league you're so you're trying to build you know solid you know players around them Hart's a great fit um and yes and, and to and to your other point about Hart winning a playoff game uh, and you can say that about some other guys like if you get a um you know a high scoring you know guard right. off the bench Jamal Crawford type you can say like yes these guys might you trade for them at the deadline because they could score 37 in a playoff game and win <laughs> yeah. you, or have a 15 point quarter and win you in the third quarter and win you a playoff game. I think even more, even a better, bigger compliment of Hart may be he's the reason the Knicks will win a playoff series or like one of mm. the major, re right. you know, like where he's not going to average 20, you know, you know, have a 27 point game and he, he's not going to average even 18, eight and four. 
but he's yeah. going to do enough in the you know in that key stretch in the middle of a fourth quarter in game one, and then the you know the second the close of a second half in game three, and then yeah. have the the fifteen nine and six game in a game seven, and you right. look back at the series and go, holy cow, man, Brunson was awesome. Randall had some huge games, but the Knicks don't win this series without Josh Hart, and that's the type of player Hart is. And that's the kind of player the Knicks want to want to keep in the fold. So I'm not surprised with that. So we'll see what happens this offseason. But right now, the worry is Josh Hart will be staying in New York long term. But that's going to do it for this episode of Orange and Blue Bloods, a uh, Odyssey WFN original. Tommy, let people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You'll find me, EJ Stewart, on EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, actually EJ on Instagram and TikTok. Once again, this is Andre Blue Bloods, a WFN Odyssey original. A podcast you can get wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature on your streaming service. You can get the episodes every time we drop. We'll have two more uh, for the rest of this week. Also, check us out on YouTube where you can find us on the Odyssey Sports app. That'll do it for now. Thank you so much for checking us out. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. <laughs>